The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's with me today. Um, he lectured me the other day before the show started on a few things, and he was just lecturing me right before the show started here today, um, telling me that I need a blood ox uh, measurement uh, indicator or whatever it's called because I mentioned to him that I'm, I've been congested the last couple of days um, and that my wife had a sore throat, uh, and he's like, well, do you have a blood ox meter? Is that what they're called, blood ox meters? I forget what they're exactly called. Do you have one? Check the, the oxygen in your. Yeah, I do. They're cheap. They're like fifty bucks. You order it online. It's a, it's a, the, the size of a of a half dollar or something like that. You stick your finger in it. You've done this at the doctors, right? Yeah. No, I know what they are. I don't have one at okay, home. Well, yeah. Well, we have one here. Uh, in fact, I just checked it the other day, and it was ninety nine. Do you know how good that is? Is that good? I don't know what that means. That's really good. Really? Yes. Uh, and and yours and, it's always, and like yours is good. It's always ninety eight. <laughs> you know, it's always good. You but, know, but uh, now I check it at home. You know, we had um, Howard Gutman who listens to the podcast. I think Howard listens to the radio show too. Howard was the former ambassador to Belgium. Howard's such a great guy. He was the ambassador to Belgium during the Obama years. And I had him as a guest. And I had him as a guest on, I can't remember if it was the radio show or the podcast or both. Howard, if you're listening, just text me and let me know. But it was really a good interview. Howard, first of all, is a phenomenal storyteller. But anyway, one of the reasons I had him on, this was early on in the pandemic, is he was part of a group that was um, basically developing the technology or had the technology developed to make entrance into arenas, large venues, much easier and faster during a pandemic and even post-pandemic with a with technology that would immediately take temperature and blood blood ox levels so that if you were you know you had a temperature or your blood ox level wasn't very good they could turn you away essentially and give your tickets back and maybe you know reimburse you for the tickets anyway howard great storyteller turned into a lot of other stories including did did i did you ever listen to that or did i ever tell you to listen to that interview 
There was so much was about. I, on it? I wasn't on it, right? You were not, it, which makes. Well, then why would I listen? Why would I listen to it? Because then? you're such a big fan of of my shows. <laughs> um, he was a partner. Like, at... This is what, by the way. Just let me just drive the car off the cliff for a second. This is what I do when people want to show me pictures of their children <laughs> or when they've been on vacation. I say to them straight out. I say, "Am I in any of the pictures?" And they say no. I say, well, why do you, why would I want to look at them? Yeah, I know because so, you're so warm and 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 nice with with people so that you actually about, care for. Tell me about Howard's well, story. So, well, Howard, by the way, is a fan of yours as well. And Howard, if you're not, I just wanted to make Tom feel good there. Um, Howard actually had just some incredible stories. Um, by the way, uh, he was. He was the son of a Holocaust survivor, um, and the story of his father uh, is an incredible story that he told, and I'm not going to retell it here, but maybe I'll get him on the show soon and we can do it again. But he, he was a partner at Williams & Connolly. I'm pretty sure that's where he was a partner, Williams & Connolly, for, ma- for many years. And he had many stories about the, the Baltimore move to Indianapolis in particular, and many others as well. Anyway, the reason I brought him up and into the conversation is because he was working with this company that had the blood ox temperature taker to make you know stadiums and arenas safer and turn away people before obviously they got into the stadium and spread the disease. My point here is I don't have a blood ox meter or, or, or taker. I have a thermometer, and I actually have the facial recognition temperature taker right here in this, you know, in this studio space that I'm in. And I, and I will walk by that many times and, and take it, and I took it earlier today and yesterday because I was congested and my wife had um, a sore throat and I had a normal temperature. So I don't think I, you know... By the way, I'm surprised that your blood ox level is so good, um, but I'm happy for you that it is. But I bet you that my blood ox level is probably normal if my temperature is normal. Or maybe not. But I do know that this is an indicator and can be a significant indicator combined with temperature of having COVID. Yes, it's easy, it's cheap, and I would just classify my own personal opinion that your behavior through the pandemic has been a little reckless. <laughs> it's been a little reckless. Really? Really? Yes. I don't think yes. it I don't think it has when been. When you described to me being in a casino <laughs> one night a few weeks ago, yeah. I'm thinking, this guy is nuts. You're mm. nuts. God, wouldn't it be great, Tommy? To oh, I had Murray on the uh, podcast yesterday. By the way, thank you for those of you that really loved the conversation about gambling. And for those of you who didn't, remember, there's like a fast forward button. You can just hit it, you know, just move it a couple of minutes ahead. Um, but, you know, Murray's doing that show for Vizen, the Brent Musburger um, yeah. network. And he's he and Aaron, Aaron's producing it. He's got now the 10 to 1 a.m. Eastern time. So for them, you know, 7 to 10 West Coast time show. And they're doing it from that brand new sports book at the Circa. Which, you know, if you haven't seen the pictures of that sports book, it's spectacular. Now, Tommy, the Circa's downtown. It's not on the Strip. Um, but, but they have a big studio set up for Tim and all of the other guys that are doing shows there. And, um, 
Man, it would be great to be in Vegas. I, I I cannot wait for this thing to be over. Not that Vegas is going to be my first trip. It's not, but it's going to be in the top five. I'm of the of the trips that I'm going to take when this thing is done and everybody's vaccinated and we're all back to normal. Even if it's a new normal, as I put air quotes up, um, I'm going to Vegas. I'm gonna. <laughs> you want to go with me? We love Vegas together. We've been a couple of times together. It doesn't hold the same allure for me anymore. Why? You know, my, my Vegas my Vegas was always a fight week right. with uh, my old boxing writer buddies. And the last time I was there was for was for Mayweather Pacquiao. And it it really felt Was I with you like, on that one or not? No, no, no. This was a couple not not that long ago. Oh yeah. Mayweather Pacquiao. And it really didn't feel the same, and I thought, okay, you know, I mean, it just doesn't do it for me anymore. Do you remember the night? This was actually really cool for me. Not because you were there, but because of the other person that was there with us. Do you know what I'm going to say? No. We were, the fights, we went to a couple of the fights together and when the fights were at the MGM, and we ended up staying at the MGM, right? I know one time Doc and I stayed somewhere else and maybe or maybe I stayed at the win and I decided to, to leave the MGM and check into the win but this we were at the MGM and a and an old friend of yours and a legendary boxing writer historian Bert Sugar oh Bert and do you Bert, remember well, I always hung out with Bert at, at, at the fight and you said and I was just I was very happy he said do you want to you want to come down with me hang out with with Bert and I at, at the bar and I said absolutely do you know um, before you and I ever did the show together? Like I had, I would, I would have Bert because Bert was a DC guy. He was born in DC. Yes, and I had him University of Maryland guy. And I had him on the show a couple of times that we that I was doing with Rigo. So not that he knew me, you know, well at all from that or whatever. But I remember sitting. We sat at the bar. We had a couple of pops, and you and Bert were catching up. And of course, you know, I I I didn't want to really hear your stories anymore because I heard them all the time, um, and I just wanted to hear Bert's. How when did he pass away? Might be about seven years ago now, six years ago. Yeah, and you know, I talked to him about two or three weeks before he passed away too. Because he was just he was recovering from a, a lung cancer, and he was starting to, to on the upswing, and then he had a heart attack mm. uh, and, and passed away. He was he was he was a rock star. Character. When I was out with Bert, I never paid for a drink if I was with him. <laughs> what and a character! We, uh, it, it was great, but uh, Vegas doesn't hold it for me anymore. I've got some trips in, in my mind. Vegas isn't one of them. What are your trips that you have in mind? Well, one of them we want to do is we want to do a Tennessee trip. Uh, I want to go back to Memphis. I went. I was in Memphis for a week for the Tyson-Lewis fight. Boring. And I had such a great time that week. And it's such a great music town. I want to hit, I want to hit Memphis, and I want to hit Nashville. Nashville's the best. Um, I love Nashville. You know, I, my sister lives there. She's been there, I don't know, six years, five years now, whatever it's been. I love Nashville. It's a phenomenal town. In my old, you know, businesses, I actually did spend a lot of time in Memphis, and I will tell you why. One of my clients was Piggly Wiggly, and they had, and Piggly <laughs> Piggly Wiggly had, um, 
they, they were a lot of uh, they were franchise uh, they were co- corporate owned stores and then they had a lot of franchisees and we were actually working with one of their biggest franchisees um, in in Memphis so I got I got to Memphis a lot and then actually went back to Memphis a few more times early in like uh, when I was doing broadcasting because this dude was starting an ACC radio network. And he had me come down to audition, and he offered me the gig, but it required moving to Memphis. Um, we didn't have the same level of technology. This would have been like 2004, 2005 probably. Yeah. I just never liked Memphis. Like, I love the whole downtown scene. You're right with the music and food and Beale Street and the whole thing. And I remember we stayed at that Peabody um, Hotel um, down there in, in Memphis, which was you know such a tourist trap. But I, Nashville, I think you will love Nashville, it's so that's just... One of our, what, that's one of our trips, is, is a Tennessee trip. We might even throw in Chattanooga as, as well. Uh, and we want to go see... Never been to Yellowstone or Yosemite. We want to go to both. I've been to Yellowstone so and Yosemite. Ahead of, ahead of Vegas um, for me. Okay, so my predictions are, number one, you will love Nashville. Um, you'll love it. You'll love the fact that basically... Um, when you're walking down Broadway, that there, there's music coming out of every single restaurant, bar, and it's not just country music either. Um, I know. It's it's you know Nashville has a lot of you know rock bands have come out of, of Nashville as well. I think you'll love Nashville. Um, God, it's been a long time since I've been in Yellowstone. I've been in Yosemite probably in the last twenty years. Um, what are you going to do in Yellowstone? What are you going to do in, in Yellowstone? I but mean, look, I, I you're, don't not, know. you're not an you outdoors see, person. Yes, I am. I, not I mean, really. We, we, took a, we took a trip out west uh, years ago, a three-week trip out west, and we, we hiked in Rocky Mountain National Park. We hiked through Bryce Canyon, through uh, what do you mean a hike? National Park. What kind of hiking do I, you do? I don't know, four, five, six-mile hikes. Was this before, right. before, before new knees or before, or, or after? Uh, uh, actually, this was before my knees went south. Okay. This was this was before my knees. Actually, right before the arthritis kicked in <laughs> on my knees, it was that that that, that fall. Because that summer we took this great vacation out west, and uh, I climbed up Bryce Canyon. I remember having to stop every ten steps to, to breathe. Yeah. But. Uh, but no, I like the outdoors too. I like I like the outdoors, so I'm looking forward to that too. You know, I'm a well-rounded guy. There's more than Tommy Lavero than just Kevin Sheehan's podcast. Partner, well, buddy. there there is more. It's just not as much as you think there is. Um, <laughs> I do you know I have never been. I've driven sort of by it, but I've never been on like a trip to the Grand Canyon. And I don't even know oh, if I want there to. A couple of times. Uh, and I've never really done Niagara Falls either, even though I've been up in that area of the country a lot. Um, Tops and Wegmans. And thank I've done you very Niagara much. Falls a couple of times too, and really liked it there. Mm. Had great trips to Niagara Falls. I think for me, when this thing is over, not that this thing would stop me from doing this <clears throat> right now, but uh, Maui. Would be certainly going back to Maui would be on the, the very near the top of the list. Long trip, but I love it. Um, definitely Vegas. Um, 
I, I'll tell you what, in, in rec- recent years, one of my favorite places to go was Amsterdam. I love Amsterdam, not because of the reasons that a lot of people say, um, weed and, you know, prostitution and all that. It's just a great city. Uh, oh, I know, I, I, I know. I want to go to Ireland. I've never been to Ireland. So do I. I've so never I. been to Ireland, and so I want to go to Ireland. That's one of our trips. We want to go to Ireland, too, because, I mean, are you going to check out your... Your, uh, of course, heritage, County Cork. I, yeah, I mean, I of course, I, I'm gonna. Yeah, I mean, my my maiden name is my mom's maiden name was Donlan, so I I and she was 100 percent Irish, so uh, I would check that out and before we went, but we want to go to Ireland as well. We're also, and I think I told you this, maybe not that you would remember, but before, right before the pandemic, this past summer, we had a trip that we were going to take to Scotland. To to it was a golf trip with the boys um, and Kara was going to come, but um, we were going to do Scotland for five days and play golf or, or six days and play golf for five of them. Uh, and we were really looking forward to that. And then we obviously with the pandemic had to, to bail. Um, also on my golf trip list is Bandon Dunes. For those of you who are golfers, I know um, I got to do that. Uh, and that's a, that's a boys trip, you know, either with my boys or with a bunch of friends. Um, uh, I want to do that. All right. Well, wh- how did the, all this start? Who knows how it ever starts? Uh, the blood ox thing, I'll look into it. Okay? Okay. Thank you <clears throat> very much. Um, there are a couple of things that, that we want to get to today, including, you know, some Super Bowl talk. And I know you you want to talk about Brady a little bit. Um, I was going to start with just one quick Super Bowl trivia question because I've been doing Super Bowl trivia on radio this week. And mm-hmm. this is one that I think you will get right. Who's been the play-by-play announcer on the most Super Bowls? Uh, it would have been my Jim Nance. Fir- no. It would have been my f- first answer. It's not Jim Nance. Okay. What's your second answer? Uh, Pat Summerall. Yeah, he's the answer. 11, 11 Super Bowls. <clears throat> 11 okay. Super Bowls for Pat Summerall. I figured it had to be a CBS guy. Yeah, well, he did for CBS and Fox. You know, he did He did the CBS. First of all, Summerall was a, a part of the broadcast for the first couple of Super Bowls when they were when they had dual networks um, televising, I think, Super Bowl one and Super Bowl two. And then obviously with CBS, with Brookshire, he did Super Bowls in the 70s. With Madden, he did them on CBS. And then when the NFC package went from CBS to Fox, he did them on Fox with Madden as well. But 11 play-by-play okay. Super Bowls. I believe, I, I've got to look this up, but I think, I think Michaels was, was second. I think Al Michaels was, was number two. So on this that is, list. getting this wrong, it's not going to cost me any money, is it? No, and I haven't had anybody, Tommy, actually I've only I've done Super Bowl trivia two days. I haven't had anybody yet reach the third level. And I'm giving everybody them... Everybody out there, everybody out there, you know, just to show you what a good partner I am, and contrary to what Kevin says, that I'm just some sort of prima donna, Kevin came up with this Super Bowl trivia contest when we used to do the Sports 6 together on 980, and given 980 was such a, uh, a generous operation, we had to put up the money. And it was Kevin's idea to put up the money to, uh, you know, to give $500 to the winner. And I would, said, okay, I'll, I'll put up half. But Kevin had to assure me that nobody would ever win the money <laughs> because the question would be too hard. And that was working fine for a couple of years. Well, like most of the until years. Some, yes. Until somebody 
won the money. Right. And I had to reach into my pocket <laughs> and pay $250 yeah. to some listener who answered a question. It was... So for those that are unfamiliar, um, it would be a three-level trivia contest. There would be like a very easy question to start. And if if the person on the other end was, uh, you know, a Skins fan, I would give them typically a Super Bowl trivia question that had something to do with one of the five games that Washington played. Like, you know, who was the Super Bowl MVP from Super Bowl 17? John Riggins. Like, easy questions. If like, It's not so easy if you really don't know anything about Super Bowl, but for people who really love football, there was always an easy level question. And then the medium level question was pretty damn hard usually. And only occasionally did they get to that final question and when they would get to the final question I would look across the table where Tommy was sitting with me in studio and he'd be clutching his heart like he was Fred Sanford like you know Elizabeth I'm coming to join you honey Um, and he would just be holding his breath and I knew that these these they were really hard questions like I'll tell you what I've got one I've got one for for uh, for the final round for this year. I'm going to give it to you right now. Like here, Here's a good example of like a really hard question. Name the three players who have the most Super Bowl losses. You know, like basically I would try to come up with questions. And by the way, name the players and the teams that they were on. I would try to come up with questions on that third and final level that you couldn't just Google. Like you couldn't be right. sitting there in front of your computer and Google. Like as an example, um... Uh, five players have won back-to-back Super Bowls while playing for different teams. Name them and the teams. Like, that's really hard. You're not going to be able to Google that. So we, I had those levels of questions. A lot of times we would do jersey number stuff because you could never look up the jersey number stuff. Like, how many number 11s started? You know, name, There were seven number 11s that started in Super Bowl games. Name them all. You know, or something like that, and I don't even—I don't even know if that's a real question. Um, and nobody ever got it. It's five, six years. Nobody ever won it. And by the way, we really appreciated all the support from 980 to help us out with like a legitimate yeah. prize that the station paid yeah. for. Because truly, when we would do this, the the phone lines would be waiting packed an hour before we would start the trivia contest, and. Um, and yeah, that I think it was the final year, and you just looked at me, you, yeah. and you just you've got to fucking be kidding me. And I think you were upset because it wasn't that hard of a question. <laughs> I think I think you knew the answer, and you're like, if I know the answer, it's not hard. And we and we <laughs> did. The guy showed up. I have I can't remember who it was, but he showed up at the station. We took pictures. We we handed him the cash, and I did tell you if you it, this was my idea. So if you don't want to participate, I'll, that's fine. But you did. You stepped up big. Right. You see, that if I, if I was the prima donna, I would have said, you pay for this. <laughs> I'm not I've never call, I've never but really, I put up, in, in all seriousness, referred to you as a prima donna. You did. I know. You did. Um, yeah. Okay. So I, I want to take a break, and I want to come back, because Marty Schottenheimer, who is – Honestly, one of my favorite coaches um, of all time, and I don't think I would have ever felt that way had he not coached here for the one year that he coached here. 
Uh, but he's in hospice, and his family has asked for prayers. Marty's been sick for a while. Um, he's had Alzheimer's for several years. And, you know, I, I hate to, to, to say this, but obviously this isn't going to end well, and it's probably going to end fairly soon when you hear this, this information. But I want to have a conversation about Marty and his Hall of Fame worthiness, and we'll do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So yesterday I saw this news come across. I think it was Chris Mortensen uh, from ESPN, Tommy, who reported it. The former NFL head coach Marty Schottenheimer was moved to a hospice facility near his home in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, complications from Alzheimer's disease. Um, his family put out a statement that they're surrounding him with love and they are soaking up all the prayers and support from all of those he impacted through his incredible life. Um, I'm, I'm bringing this up not just because I, I, I'm a fan of Marty Schottenheimer. Um, re- remember, we had him on the show. You do remember that, right? Uh, no, I don't. You don't remember that? We had him on the show. Maybe you weren't there that day. Maybe you weren't there that day, but we had him on the show. Anyway. Um, he had a book out, right? Yeah, there was something he was pushing at the time. Yeah. And we had him on, and it was a, okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, I bring it up because I was listening yesterday to Peter King on Mad Dog, uh, on Mad Dog's show. And Peter King was talking about the Hall of Fame, um, which they apparently have already voted on because of the pandemic. They're not doing the whole Saturday, all day thing and then, you know, come out Saturday night, you know, white smoke, here it is. Um, and he said, you know, basically Peyton Manning, you know, is a lock. Um, Charles Woodson more likely um, than not a lock. And then he said that he thinks that Tom Flores is going to make it into the Hall of Fame via the senior route. And Tom Flores, for those that don't know, was the uh, two-time Super Bowl winning coach for the L.A. Raiders, uh, the Oakland Raiders in 1980 when they beat the Eagles in the Super Bowl. By the way, they were a wild card team that year <clears throat> when they won that Super Bowl in 1980. Um, and then they crushed Washington in Super Bowl 18 in Tampa, 38-9 to behind Marcus Allen and Jim Plunkett and Cliff Branch and Michael Haynes and Lester Hayes um, when Washington was the defending champ. So Tom Flores is a two-time Super Bowl winning coach. But 
Um, he has a career regular season record of 97 and 87. The truth is he didn't coach that long. Um, he coached, he was the head coach of the Oakland Raiders and the LA Raiders uh, for nine seasons. And then he had three very unproductive years in Seattle as the head coach where he went in Seattle. He was 14 and 34 in three years. Um, but his overall winning percentage is 527. But he was eight and three in the playoffs with two Super Bowl titles. And so when I heard Peter King say that, I was like, look, I don't necessarily have anything against Tom Flores being in the Hall of Fame as a two-time Super Bowl winner. But if Tom Flores goes into the Hall of Fame, two guys that I'm a big fan of should be in the Hall of Fame. Mike Shanahan should be in the Hall of Fame if Tom Flores is in the Hall of Fame. If he goes into the Hall of Fame, Shanahan should absolutely be in the Hall of Fame. Shanahan has a better overall record, has won two Super Bowls, all right, and by the way, really was an innovator in the run game with the zone run scheme. So, you know, there are a lot of people that have always called Mike a borderline Hall of Fame coach. That's fine, but if Tom Flores gets into the Hall of Fame, Shanahan deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And that leads me to this, and then I'll let you respond. Marty... Schottenheimer had a Hall of Fame coaching career in the regular season. Like, there is no exaggerating Marty's success as a regular season NFL coach. One of the best ever, Tommy. Um, he His winning percentage in Cleveland was 620. Two and four in the postseason, went to the playoffs four times, won three AFC Central, they called it back then, division titles, and of course lost. We'll get to the playoffs, actually. I'll hold off on the playoffs in a moment. In Kansas City, 101 and 58, a 635 winning percentage, went to the playoffs seven times in Kansas City. And in Washington, one season, as we know, eight and eight with Tony Banks and Kent Graham at quarterback, started three and eight, finished. Uh, 0-5 finished uh, 8-3 over their final 11 games uh, and then was dismissed after one year. And then with the Chargers, 47-38, and 38, a 588 winning percentage, went to the playoffs twice in five seasons. Marty had seven seasons, I'm sorry, um, nine seasons of 10 or more, my fault, 3, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 seasons of 10 wins or more. 11 seasons of 10 wins or more, and had three seasons of 13 wins or more, and five seasons of 12 wins or more. One of the great and one of the most successful regular season coaches in NFL history, Marty Schottenheimer, was. It's it's hard to almost debate it. His regular season uh, winning percentage First of all, he, he's got 200 career wins, but the winning percentage of 613, the only coaches with a better regular season win percentage are Don Shula, George Hallis, Bill Belichick, Tom Landry, and Curly Lambeau. Guys that are in the Hall of Fame that Schottenheimer has a better regular season percentage, winning percentage than are guys like Parcells, Noel, Levy, and Stram. Um, the combined uh, regular season records of Coriel and Flores, all right, if Flores gets into the Hall of Fame and Coriel is there, um, is like, you know, 551. Marty had three incredible acts as a regular season coach. The reason he's not in the Hall of Fame, however, is because nobody had worse luck in the postseason than Marty. <laughs> nobody. The drive, 
against Denver when Cleveland was on their way to the Super Bowl. The fumble, Ernest Biner in Denver the next year. Denver goes to the Super Bowl. Cleveland doesn't. Um, Two missed field goals late in playoff games of short distance that eliminated his teams in Kansas City and in San Diego. And then his very last playoff game against the Patriots in San Diego is a 14-2 team, number one seed in the AFC in 2006. There's an interception that will end the game, and instead of going down, the DB runs around, fumbles it back to the Patriots, and Brady goes down and leads the Patriots into um, the AFC Championship game. He had horrible luck in the postseason. 5-13 and 13 total in the postseason, even though he seemed to be in the postseason almost every year when he was a head coach. If Tom Flores gets in the Hall of Fame, Mike Shanahan and Marty Schottenheimer should be in the Hall of Fame. Last thing before I want your take. To me, Marty's career is George Allen's career. Phenomenal regular season coach, but not a good playoff coach, not a good playoff record. The only difference between George Allen and Marty Schottenheimer is George Allen was really considered to be an innovator in the game with the nickel defense, <clears throat> with special teams, first coach to hire special teams uh, coach. He, it was Marv Levy. Um, but if Flores gets in, I think Shanahan and Schottenheimer and by the way, I think Tom Coughlin should eventually be in as well as a two-time Super Bowl winner. You say what? Well, you took the words right out of my mouth with the George Allen reference. I mean, to me, that's, that's the comparable to Marty in many ways. Uh, a guy who did not have success in the postseason, but had tremendous regular season success. I think all those coaches you mentioned will get in. I think, I think that Mike Shanahan will get in eventually. I think Marty will get in, and I think Tom Coughlin will get in. I think they'll all get in eventually. Well, they're not now. Uh, no, but they will. I think they will. Look how, look how long it took Tom Flores to get in. Do you think Tom? 30, what, you, almost 40 years. Do you think he's a Hall of Fame coach? Seriously. I don't. If you went two Super Bowls, I think you're a Hall of Fame coach. <sighs> he won. Listen, he won two Super This is always the, one of the measurements. Who was your quarterback? He won two Super Bowls with Jim Plunkett. I know. <laughs> okay? Not Kenny Stabler. Jim Plunkett as a veteran, and he was, you know, here's one thing Plunkett could do, Tommy. He could throw the deep ball. Rippin-like. Yes. He could throw the deep ball, which yes. Al Davis well, always at, wanted. You look at Plunkett's numbers. I know. And you say, how did this guy win two Super Bowls? So, I think, I think that that's another plus for Flores. Yeah, but very so, talented yes, I do teams. I think he's a whole... I know that, but I don't penalize a coach for winning with talent. I, I, I felt Jackson. No, but you had, tried to act it out. You tried to act team. like he did it with the little, you know, the, the little sisters of the poor. I mean, Jim Plunkett. No, I said we 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 measure coaches technically a lot of times by their not by who their quarterbacks were and their success. That's true. We always talk about how Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. Right. You know. So I think you have to consider that with Tom Flores, that he won with arguably one of the worst quarterbacks in Super Bowl history in Plunkett. I don't care how he played in the games. I mean, you look at his numbers, and uh, they're, they're, in, they're in the low end of that pile. So, yeah, I think Flores is a Hall of Famer, but it took him a long time. Uh, Shanahan, I think it, it will take a while. I mean, I think people 
you know, it may it may take until Kyle's out of the game before Mike gets in at some point. Uh, and I think Marty will get in, particularly, unfortunately, once he passes on, as uh, there'll be another recognition of the work he's done. The even, the even more remarkable thing, I think, is Marty Schottenheimer coached here for one year. He's revered by Washington football fans. He, he is put up on a pedestal. Like a coach who has coached here ten years. Yeah, but we there know there will be Washington football fans who will who will genuinely feel sorrow when when Marty Schottenheimer passes away. And he was here for a cup of coffee. It's funny because I, I don't think I would be the fan of Marty that I am. Um, and ha- sort of have an appreciation for his career and the moments in which he didn't get it done in the postseason that really were, in many cases, just a terrible stroke of bad luck. Although I do think, like George Allen, he was too conservative you know, um, in playoff games when he had superior talent and a superior team. Um, but look, Tommy, the 2001 season you know, um, for – this franchise was the first, you know, um, it was it was the f- first hire that that uh, that Dan made because he inherited North Turner, fired North Turner at the end of the 2000 season, um, and or you know with three games left, uh, Terry Rabinsky, as Dion called him, was the interim coach. And he hired Marty Schottenheimer. And remember, Marty Schottenheimer, as a broadcaster, had basically been very critical of Dan. But Marty came in, yes. and Marty knew. Marty, more than anybody else, long before even we knew it, he knew how dangerous Dan was. And he only took that job with total control of the football operation. Total control. Spurrier didn't have it. Gibbs, you know, had it. But Gibbs didn't mind Vinny being around and Dan participating. Um, Marty came in long before any of us really had an inkling of how dangerous Snyder was as an owner. And Marty knew. Marty said, I'll take the job, but I get full control of the football operation. He booted Fred Drasner, the one of the co-owners. He, he took away his parking spot in Ashburn and gave it to one of his coaches. Um, he, he, the first thing he did is he booted Vinny Serrato out of the building and said, no, we're, I got people, uh, you know, by the way, guys that could really do this. I mean, he brought in John Schneider. Nobody knew who John was. Yes. John's been the longtime general manager yes. in Seattle and been the architect with Pete Carroll behind so many of the great Seattle teams over the years. Um, yeah. And Marty's season started with Jeff George at quarterback, and he gave George a shot, but 9-11 happened after the opener. They lost to the Chargers 30-3. to George was terrible. 9-11 happens. You get the delay. You come back. He starts George in the first Monday night game with the NFL back after 9-11. They get absolutely housed at Lambeau, 37 to nothing, something like that. George is terrible. He cuts George the next day and tells Dan, sorry, because George, of course, was Dan's guy. Um, George was right. a loser. He goes on to lose his first five games, and the stories are, you know, you know some of them. They were done with Marty. Marty was already, you know, he was an authoritarian. Marty had already been super mean to people like Drasner. He was not a finesse guy. 
And Marty basically said, get the hell out of my way and you'll love what the results will be. But you have to stay the hell away. He was not uh, Rivera calling him Mr. Snyder. Marty called him Dan. I'm pretty sure. I can't remember, actually. Um, but Ron, you know, it has this finesse way of making Dan feel like he's participating. Marty didn't want any of that. He didn't want any of the aggravation of having to, to placate Snyder or any of the other owners. And at 0-5, they were done with him. Done with him. Drasner hated him. Snyder was ready to move on from him. They were, and, uh, you know, the famous quote that Dan wasn't having any fun. And there goes Marty starting to turn it around. By the way, the 0-5 game, the game in which they went to 0-5, was a Monday night game against the Cowboys. The Skins were 0-4 and the Cowboys were 0-5 going into that game. Or maybe it was vice versa, whatever it was. And it was the first game that they were really competitive in. And they were up 7-6 to late and Stephen Davis got the ball for a first down which would have put them into position of taking a knee and kneeing out the clock. And he got the first down and he fumbled. And Dallas got it, and they drove it down the field. They kicked a game-winning field goal to win it 9-7. to The funny thing about that game, 0-4 Dallas, 0-5 Washington or whatever it was, maybe both teams were 0-4, one of the highest Monday night-rated games of the year on television because that that's still when Dallas-Washington was a big deal. And then the next week against Carolina at home, down 14 nothing. LeVar Arrington picked off a pass and ran it back like 75 yards for a touchdown. They rallied. They beat Carolina in overtime 17-14. And then you just saw a team continue to get better and better and tougher and tougher. And defensively, they I remember they went to Denver and won 17-10 in a sleet storm. By the way, Banks was benched for Kent Graham. They beat the Eagles at the Vet 13-3. I'll never forget the final score. The defense was great. Kajana Carter was in the backfield for them. And they won five straight games to get back to 5-5. Five and five. And I just remember watching them going, This is the first team we've had. This is the first coach we've had since Joe left, since Gibbs left, that is going to build a winner. This is how it's done. There's a toughness to this team. There's a discipline. There's a guy in charge. There's a guy that understands culture. And all, you know, the only they, they ended up going eight and eight. They they lost a couple of key games at home against at home against the Bears and the Eagles late in the season, or they would have been in the postseason. And Dan said to him after the season, uh, nice job, but um, if you, I, I need back in. I need to participate. I need my guys to be participants in this thing as well. And Marty said, absolutely not. And Dan said, well, sorry, see ya. Biggest mistake of the Snyder era. To me, there's not even a close number two. And I'm not counting the culture of misogyny and sexual harassment. I'm talking about the football operation. Just so nobody, And that is yeah. why he is so revered by Washington football fans, because people who lived through it can remember that, that moment where the clouds parted. They were parting. You know, the, the clouds were parting, and the sun was starting to shine, and, and just like that, you know, you had the storm clouds again, and they've been there ever since. So I don't know if there's a franchise. I mean, it's ironic, because there are two, there are two different reasons. But there are two coaches, uh, Schottenheimer more than Lombardi, who were only been with the Washington football team for one year, and in that time, had 
huge impact. Now, Lombardi had a huge impact on the organization and the team. Schottenheimer had a huge impact on the fan base and what they felt, you know, what was possible. Uh, but one year, Kevin, I mean, I, I, there's not many guys who have been in, in a coaching job for one year who didn't win. I mean, they were 8-8, eight and, eight, and it's, it's, spoke, it's spoken of as, as a savior. But he you is. Know- I th- I think you're right with a lot of people. At the time, you know, there were a lot of people. I remember, like, one of our very good friends, Steve Zabin. I remember Zabe couldn't stand Marty, couldn't stand the authoritarian style. He wasn't, you know, the, he wasn't the only one. In, the Post was all over Marty. All over him, hated him. And, 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 and they, because they, they were on the Steve Spurrier train. Right. And by the way, that was, you know, Snyder's other plan. We'll bring Spurrier in here and we'll handle all the personnel, let him coach it up, and we'll be good to go. Um, I just remember, you know, I wasn't in, in broadcasting this year. I just remember thinking as I'm watching this, going, this is the guy. It's been a while because Norv was the opposite of Marty. You know, Norv was, you know, a finesse guy. Norv was mealy mouth. Norv, you know, the bottom line is Norv was a really good offensive coordinator, one of the best of, of the last 30 years, but was not a very good head coach. And yeah. Marty um, was a really good head coach. And I'm telling you, Tommy, still to this day, I think that that if Dan had – had less ego and more intelligence, um, Marty would have, they would have won division titles. They would have been in the playoffs. There would have been a six, seven, eight year run because, you know, eventually Marty does, like George Allen, by the way, another similarity. Eventually, you know, it gets to a point where it's like, Okay, that was great, but man, he's too much, you know. And the, and he grew apart in all of his franchises. Eventually, there was like there was a shelf life to Marty, and that's yes. that's fine because while he was on the shelf, he was winning. He was kicking ass, not in the postseason. Um, that's always going to be the mark against him. But that team with guys like you know Flemister and Walter Rasby and. And Kajana Carter, who was the number one pick in the draft, but it had like, you know, knee surgery after knee surgery. Steven Davis, he recognized the greatness of him. Rod Gardner. I mean, I'm just trying to think of the guys that, you know, on offense. Cause and by the way, I think LeVar Arrington would have been a great all time pro had he played his whole career with Marty Schottenheimer. I think I think he would have been. I think he would have been I, I think you're right. Yeah. And yeah. I had I covered the, uh, I remember uh, they sent me down to cover Washington's game with New or- with the Saints in New Orleans. At the end of that year? And they beat the Saints. Yeah, they beat the Saints pretty handily. I think it was 30-13 to 13 or something like that. Yeah. But uh, I remember seeing a, a GM, uh, NFL GM, who I was talking to down there, who told me that Marty should have been coach of the year for doing what he did with Tony Banks as no, quarterback. No doubt. And it wasn't just Banks and Graham. It was everything else they had. They had nothing on offense. So it was going to take him, first of all, he was going to need to get, you know, a quarterback. Um, and, you know, and he and it was a different age. It's not like you had to have the, the elite quarterback. Back then, you could be really good without having the best quarterback in the game. I mean, you know, it was better to have Montana and Marino. I understand that. Um, but he, um, you know, the other one last thing on that year. Daryl Green and Bruce Smith could not stand him. 
They were the old veterans. They had done things a certain way. They had played under certain coaches, and none of the coaches that they played under were like Marty. Joe Gibbs wasn't like Marty. Norv Turner wasn't like Marty. Marv Levy for Bruce Smith wasn't like Marty. Marty was George Allen. And, you know, like I said, short, you know, maybe a shorter shelf life, but also you had to have a certain kind of a player. And Daryl Green, at whatever age he was at that point, which would have been every bit of 36, 37, 30, you know, Let's see, Spurrier was the final year for him, and he was 40, so he's probably 37 years old, right? At least. Maybe older than that. Yes. 2001, if he was 41 or 40 when he retired, no, he was 42 when he retired. He might have been 40 during that season. What year was he drafted, 83? Yeah, he was drafted at 83. So this was 2001, so he was in year 18. He's he's near 40 years old. Yes. He, he's near 40. If he's not 40, he's 39 in the Marty season. But I think because the Spurrier year two was Daryl's final year, right? That was his final year. And so he was 42 when he retired. He might have been 40. He might have been 40. Anyway. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here hesitating because I'm put, pulling it up on Pro Football Reference because now I'm interested to see how close we were. Uh, here it is. Uh, he was 41. He was 41 during the 2001 season, and he retired the next year, Spurrier's first year, um, at the end of 2002. He was 42 years old then. Well, Marty understood. Marty understood what hey, – talk about changing the culture – what a, what a mess the organ the the team was uh, discipline wise under North Turner. Yeah, and he understood a basic philosophy of management is it's easier, it's better to be the hard ass from the start, and then if you need to back off, to back off. You can't start off being the the, the easy going guy and then put on the the, the the brakes. That's a lot harder to do. I'm sure when Marty was in Kansas City, he didn't treat Derek, Derek Thomas the way he treated Daryl Green and Bruce Smith. I'm sure by the time Marty had been with Derek Thomas for years, sure. he had a different set of rules probably. You know? Definitely. I mean, so I don't think Marty was like that every year. But Marty needed to be like that that year. And there were veterans who had to pay the price. You know, um, it's... February 4th, 2021, which means he was basically hired here 20 years ago. You know, it was it would have been January, more, and I think it was January. I think it was pretty much right when the season ended. Um, but 20 years ago, it was Marty was hired here, and it was the it was absolutely, in my opinion, I don't think there's a close second when it comes to the football side of the house, the worst mistake Dan Snyder ever made. He missed out on an opportunity to actually have success. By the way, you remember this. Because I think now this is what – I think this was a part of the interview with Marty. He coached in that UFL. He coached yes. Virginia's – He coached U- the Virginia team. The United yes. Football League team to the cha- – he won the championship in that league. <laughs> <laughs> he defeated the Las Vegas Locomotives in the 2011 UFL championship. And you know what? Actually, I think that is why we had him on. I think that there was an opportunity because they were promoting that UFL, UFL to have Marty on. It wasn't a book. It was the UFL thing, and we had him on. Okay. And uh, and I remember, 
you know, he was he was very um, hesitant, but he said enough when it came to, you know, it was pretty much something like, well, Dan had his ideas after that first year, and he wanted to be more involved, and uh, that wasn't our deal. And I said, if you're going to be involved, uh, you're going to be involved without me, and he decided that that's the way it would go. <laughs> but he did get paid. He did get paid. Yeah. Um who yeah. was the, who was the longtime um, Chiefs team president? I've had him on uh, the radio several times. Carl Peterson. Carl Peters- Peterson, who loves Marty, you know, I, and and he he I remember having him on um, years ago, and he and I said that to him. I said, by far and away, the number one mistake, not even close. Before we had even talked about Marty, what, uh, under Dan Snyder was firing Marty Schottenheimer, and he said, and he just said to me, he goes, not even close. He goes, what a shame, what a missed opportunity, because Marty won everywhere, and he would have won there, and he had the control there because he knew he needed the control, and that's, that, that, and he went in with the control. You know, Jay Gruden, and I would urge everybody to listen to this, Ben Standig's podcast, um, he had Jay Gruden on uh, yesterday, and Gruden said, uh, among, I haven't listened to the whole thing, but I listened to the end, uh, the last 15 minutes of it. It's very good. I'm going to go back and listen to the rest of it today. Um, Gruden in sort of, you know, uh, uh, the, one of the final questions about, you know, what ifs or, you know, what would you change? And he just said, well, the bottom line is, you know, you need the control. You can't, you, to, to create a culture, that, you know, will be a winning culture, you have to have the head coach or football people be in charge of who's in and who's out. Uh, We had too many people that we didn't, on the football side, want in the, you know, one on the team. And there were lots of people that we wanted on the team that Bruce and Dan didn't want. And there was, you know, that was the disconnect. He also blamed it on injuries. Uh, But, um, you know, Marty didn't allow for anybody else to make a decision. And, you know, and I think right now the situation with Ron Rivera is that I don't know if it's in his contract, but for right now, Ron Rivera has the ability um, to make all of the decisions. And, and, you know, only time will tell if Dan has learned his lesson over all these years and we'll let him make every one. By the way, I had Rivera on the radio show. Yeah, that's right. I had him on this morning. Uh, He was great. I actually recorded it yesterday, um, but ran it this morning. So for those of you... um, uh, Rivera was on. You can go listen to it on the team980.com or the radio.com app and then um, just uh, go to team980. Uh, there, there were a couple of things. I'll tell you real quickly, like some of the highlights. Um, on on the whole quarterback situation, he, he said quarterbacks are number one priority. And, and, it, and he said, well, having an answer for quarterback is the number one priority. So I said, well, you know, many people think that Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen and or Kyle Allen are the answer. What would you say to those people about that being, you know, you know, being able to solve your number one priority? And he said, I'd tell them, well, we need to make sure we need to make absolutely sure we need to exhaust and investigate all of the possibilities that are out there. So he said, essentially, we're going to keep going out there looking for an answer. Um, he also said, and I didn't know if this was the first time, I don't think I had heard this and and maybe it was reported. Um, but I asked him about Dwayne when he knew that Dwayne wasn't going to be a part of this team. And he said, you know, it was when he benched him. And then I, so I followed up by saying, well, was there any consideration given 
to trading him at the trade deadline when you could have gotten something for him instead of, you know, having to release him at the end of the year. And he said, uh, yeah, and he basically said, we did, but we got no offers. So they did try to trade him, and there was nobody interested in offering anything. Um, and there were some really interesting things about Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew. Uh, you can go listen to the interview, but... You know, I, I asked him about what the, you know how the three of them are going to work together, and he said, "Well, it's coach centric. I've got the final say." And I said, "Well, what do each one of them do well? Like, what are their strengths?" And he actually, and I was surprised at this. He said, "What Marty's best at is being a road GM. He loves being on the road scouting for the draft, and that that Mar- Martin Mayhew is really strong on the pro personnel side and understands how to find guys that fit the scheme." Well, and you know, the obvious in recent years is that Josh Norman, as an example, was a really good corner, maybe, but not in the scheme. But it didn't matter to Dan and Bruce because it was Josh Norman. Now, I would say to, to, to someone like Jay Gruden or, some, or, or whomever was the defensive coordinator at that point, Joe Barry or whoever it was, you, well, you got you, you to gotta fit your scheme then. If you've, got, if you've got an owner going out there and playing fantasy football, you're going to have to you know, fit the scheme to your best players, which they never did with Norman. And, you know, the Alex Smith trade was not necessarily a guy that was going to fit Jay's system well. Right. But anyway, uh, you wanted to talk about Brady and the Wizards. I think you had some thoughts on the Wizards. We'll do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. Uh, this is going to be the final show with you this week, so I will let you make the Super Bowl pick if you'd like to do that. Um, but I know that you wanted to talk about Brady. Well, I mean, earlier in the week, he comes out and says, uh, he's 43 years old. He says he, he wants to play past 45. Right. I mean, that's pretty stunning. I mean, I don't think we fully appreciate what we're seeing from this guy. Uh, in terms of his ability to compete at a high level uh, like he has been. I know I, I'm surprised by what he's done in Tampa this year. I didn't think they'd get this far, particularly after the game they, they played against Washington. I didn't think they'd get this far in the playoffs. So uh, it's hard. if you can underestimate Tom Brady, I still think people do because I don't think they realize he's 43 years old. And he's, he's got his team in the Super Bowl. He took them to the Super Bowl. It may not have been pretty all the time, but he, he got them there. And, I mean, he's just a marvel. That said, I don't see how you can pick him in this Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I think you can pick him in the Super Bowl. I think you can pick that team in the Super Bowl. I think you can pick Todd Bowles in the Super Bowl. I think I'm going to pick tomorrow my smell test, more likely than not Tampa, in the Super Bowl. Really? Yeah. And it's not just, it's definitely the anti-public thing, but I could see that I can see them winning this game. I can. I could see them winning the NFC Championship game, too. Um, I could also see Kansas City winning by a lot. <laughs> but, <clears throat> no, I, I, I think they're going to play well. I think they're going to be coached well. I think they're going to play well. I think this is such a great matchup. I think this is the most excited I've been about a Super Bowl in a long time. Like, I'm really looking forward to watching this game. Aren't you? Yeah, so am I. Yeah, and look, I mean, it's, what's interesting is um, Pat Mahomes is 
something that we've never seen before. So I don't know how you pick against them. I mean, you've got the ultimate thing. How do you pick against Brady? Well, you pick against Brady when he's playing against Pat Mahomes. I know the quarterbacks don't play against each other, but we still do this all the time. And it it amounts to who's going to put up that many points that quickly. And if it's if it's a if it's a point shootout, it's 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 going to be it's going to be the Chiefs, which I think it will be a point shootout. Um, yeah, I mean, Marie and I were talking about it. Everybody's expecting a big shootout, so I will probably um, lean uh, under, if not give it out on the smell test. Um, it's amazing what Brady's doing. There's no doubt about it. It's yes, ama- it is. It's amazing. And, and it when really he, is. And when he said that the other day, I didn't even think twice about it. Of course, I mean, I could see him play at a high level next year and the year after. I mean, you know, there's always this saying with quarterbacks, like it, they, they fall off a cliff, like it's it's over quickly. And, and I guess, you know, I, I definitely saw some regression with Breeze this year. Um, oh, yes. But – yes. You know, uh, I'm trying to think of other super. You know, Brunel at the end of of his career. How old was Brunel when he finally retired? Um, how old was he in Washington? He was like 37 in Washington. Could, he, he could throw that cross field five yard pass better than anybody. <laughs> he really lost some arm strength. I thought Philip. It's interesting. I thought Philip Rivers lost arm strength a year ago. I thought watching him, but I thought he looked great this year. Um, who yeah. were I mean, Testaverde played until a very old age, you know, and started games. Warren Moon played till he was 44 in Kansas City. Um, DeBerg. Yeah, but DeBerg was always a backup. Right. You know? Um, I know. It's funny because DeBerg uh, was, you know, over the weekend they do that thing on the NFL Network where they play all of the NFL films, 30-minute, you know, Super Bowl highlight uh, films and they start on like Saturday afternoon and they play them right through Sunday during the day. It's always the week before the Super Bowl. And I just happened to have tuned in for the back-to-back Super Bowls by Denver, the Shanahan uh, uh, two Super Bowls with Elway at the end of his career. And they had Steve DeBerg mic'd up. He was the backup quarterback to Chris Chandler for the Falcons in that second Super Bowl that Denver won. And he was 44 years old at the time. But I think pretty much for the the, the last several years of DeBerg's career, he was pretty – I think he was probably a backup for most of his career anyway. George Blanda, how old was, was. How yeah. old was Blanda? I know he was a kicker I at 49. Blanda. He was a kicker at like 50, wasn't he? Something like that. I just don't think we've ever seen anything like what no. Tom Brady's doing. No. Week after week, take, taking a, a team in his first year – on the team, a talented team, a well-coached team, but still, I mean, a lot of things get in the way when you arrive at at a new team, especially when you've got to be set in your ways from playing from for Bill Belichick for 19 or 20 of your seasons in football. I mean, the adjustments for Brady must have been difficult. You know, you've really hit on something because I, I, I don't – so I think one of the most overrated things to talk about over the last couple of weeks is Brady over Belichick. I think that's just way overrated. I think that they were partners in the greatest dynasty of the NFL maybe ever. 
um, and, and, and equal partners. We know this because we know what Bill Belichick was in New York as the defensive coordinator for Bill Parcells and how brilliant he was in, as being the architect of a defense in two Super Bowl wins there. Bill Belichick was, he was as, I'm just going to say, I don't know if one guy was uh, maybe more important than the other or less important, but it was damn close. And just because yes. Belichick's team isn't in the postseason this year when he had like six players opt out and had uh, no cap space and lost a bunch of players, I would not count him out with cap space in the next couple of years. Um, I think that's I think that story is very overrated. Like I just don't think that there's anything conclusive because Brady's in this Super Bowl and Belichick didn't even make the playoffs in terms of the Brady-Belichick conversation. However, what I think has been undersold is what you're talking about. Tom Brady left New England, went to Tampa, and in his first year took the Buccaneers to the Super Bowl. His 10th, and he's trying to win his 7th. Like when when it's all over at 45 years old or 46 years old, and then 10 years after that, and hopefully we're still around doing a podcast together, and we talk about Tom Brady's career, this is going to be a significant part of the story. Like the, yes, the, 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 the it will. Absolutely will. Imagine, look, we think Pat Mahomes is so great. I mean, if Pat Mahomes would, would, would win this Super Bowl, that would give him two, okay? That would give him one-third the amount that Brady has won. <laughs> yeah, but he seems – you know, it's funny. My, my son said, is it possible that Patrick Mahomes, if he loses a Super Bowl, might not go back? And I actually said, no, it's impossible that he won't be back here. But we said the same thing about Marino in 84, um, that you know he was going to yeah. have several more chances. But Mahomes is – No, you're right. But, yeah. but Mahomes, come on. I mean, this is, this is the second of several, but probably not ten – and probably yeah. not a tenth with a different team. When the Brady story is told, it's going to be mostly about the Patriots. But this year, his first year away from New England, taking Tampa Bay, a team that was 7-9 and nine the year before, and many people will forget the details that Tampa Bay was actually loaded and stacked with talent. But they'll they'll just it'll be Brady took Tampa Bay to a Super Bowl. And if he wins it, it'll be even amazing. But just getting him there. This is going to be a big part of the story. And shit, they might be back there next year with him. Yeah. Yes, they might. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, if he wins it, if he wins it, then where does he stand, I mean, among the greatest athletic accomplishments of all time? The most accomplished um, team sport athlete ever because – it just was a Russell in what they did with the Celtics is just much different. They're not comparable. The number of teams, the you know the the well, talent. Yeah, that's that's always a bogus argument. Why? I mean because well because the, I mean because the number of teams are smaller, but the talent was more condensed. I understand that, Tommy. It but the Celtics had out. the Celtics. They drafted you know uh, they drafted regionally, not by uh, not based on a system where the worst record drafted last every year. They had they were I, loaded. I get that. That the I mean I know that, but you can only play in the system you're in. The only thing that that separates Brady from Russell, if Brady would win it, would be Russell moving to another team and winning an NBA title that that year. See, that's the difference maker. This is what would set Brady apart from everybody. I mean, imagine Russell moving to the 76ers. 
and then he takes them to the NBA championship that year. Like Kareem did with the Lakers after winning it in Milwaukee? Um, no. Not quite the same because Kareem I, was still a young man. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, to me, I think he's already the greatest team sport athlete or, or most accomplished team sport um, player of all time. I mean, I know you're going to shrug your shoulders at this, but Tiger Woods is actually probably the most accomplished athlete of all time. I mean, the numbers and the ridiculous numbers um, during the course of his career are just not really touch. They're not close. I mean, some people will point to Federer and might point to Nadal and even Serena and what they've done. Um, but uh, it sort of even pales in comparison to Tiger. But in terms of team sport, it's Brady. It's Brady. I mean, Jordan won six. Russell won what? Russell won 11. 11. Jesus, God. Yeah. <laughs> that is... Listen, Tiger Woods couldn't carry Willie Shoemaker's job. Okay. Okay? Um, I, I don't want to get into a Tiger that, Woods thing. Willie Shoemaker... Held the record for most wins by a jockey for 30 years. Right. Okay? <laughs> Four Kentucky Derbies, two Preaknesses, five Belmont Stakes. Right. Tiger Woods. Um, why don't you just spend one day, um, you know, before your trip to Yellowstone, um, before you're able to do that, you've got a lot of free time, and just go through Tiger Woods versus the rest of sort of individual sport I just told athletes. I you who, who, who dwarfed him. No. Literally and figuratively. I don't care. Willie Shoemaker. I don't count. Are you going to sit there and tell me I don't that a golfer jockeys. is a bigger athlete than a jockey? Okay. I don't, I don't want to get into this. This will take too long. Of course and I, I don't, don't want to start it. Because you don't want to spend the rest of the day <laughs> feeling like a loser. <laughs> Okay, if that makes you feel better. All right, what did you want to say about the Wizards before we get to your Super Bowl pick? What Beal is doing right now uh, as as we watch this team sink into Wizards like, you know, depths. Bradley Beal is obviously on a mission to win the NBA scoring title. And here's why. It's the only way he's going to get on an all-NBA team. The only way. He still can't get recognition from the league for any kind of honor whatsoever. And his only chance of getting on an all-NBA team and getting a max contract that would come with it would be to win that scoring title. And that's what he's doing. He's trying to get a max contract paid, and he knows his only shot is to win the scoring championship. Well, he's averaging 34.8 points per game. It's four points more than Kevin Durant, who's number two in the league in scoring. Um, you know, I watched some of the game last night, not a lot of it. Uh, by the way, congratulations to Georgetown. They now have two wins in a row, and they upset Creighton uh, last night, who's the 14th-ranked team in the country. Um, uh, I just, when I watch Beal, I do recognize, A, him to be an elite scorer, B to have been to to be an incredibly improved offensive player and scorer, um, and I give him all the credit in the world. Um, but I watch his whole game, and he's just not a number one player on a contender. He just isn't, in my view. Like he is not a top ten player. He, you know, I'd have to go through the whole list. I'm sure he's pushing inside the top twenty, top fifteen. 
Um, but, you know, there are – I guarantee you I could rip off in a matter of 30 seconds 10 players minimum, probably 15, that I would rather have than Beal. I, again, he's an elite scorer. And he, I think he'd be a really good number two on a championship contending team. I do. I think he'd be a really good number two on a championship contending team. And on a superstar team, like if you're on the Lakers, he'd be a number three between LeBron, you know, behind LeBron and AD. He's just not a number one player. He's not going to lead you and carry you to contention. He's not. He's not good enough defensively. Well, I think he's not good enough at making others better. The, people who watch the NBA, I think, agree with you. I think that's his problem. I think that's why he needs a scoring title so they can't ignore him. <sighs> yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I know people are sitting there going, "Okay, Shane, go ahead and name the players." Um, okay, LeBron, Giannis, um, Kawhi. Um, Curry, Durant, obviously, AD, obviously, that's six. Um, Doncic, seven. Jokic, eight. Embiid, nine. Um, Lillard, I would take ten. Butler, who did lead his team to contention, twelve. Is that twelve that I just named? Eleven. Eleven. Um... Definitely not Harden. Definitely Kyrie. No, I'm not putting. I can't stand. They're losers to me. Um, yes, you know what? Are. I'll tell you what. It'd be very close. Jason Tatum is developing into a real lead on a contending kind of team. Uh, wh- whatever it is, you know, Beal's in that conversation now. You know, with Tatum, and you know, but I named eleven or twelve. So that's when you start, you know, putting Beal into the conversation. Okay, that's where you start to put him into the conversation. I didn't mention, you know, a guy like Paul George. Paul George to me is a number two. By the way, a number two with a with a number one. Kawhi's definitely a number one. Yeah, and for people that would will say no on Embiid, watch him this year. Good God, is he good? Um, and Jokic and Doncic, both I would take in a trade. I somebody said that I was nuts the other day because I said I would trade Beal to Philadelphia for Simmons in a one. Um, and it's somebody said, well, Philadelphia wouldn't have to give up a one. Yeah, they would. Yeah, they would. They'd have to give up more than just Simmons. And I would do that deal in a heartbeat. I, I, I actually want them to trade Beal. He's going to leave at the end of next year anyway. Yes. Yes, he is. So, but he, he, but the reason he does not want to get traded now, because this is his best chance and best place to win this NBA title where he's at right now. NBA scoring title. NBA scoring title. Yeah, right. I mean, he goes someplace else. He's not going to do that because they're going to expect him to share the ball and not not count on him for as many points. This is his best. This is why he doesn't want to get traded now. Oh, yeah. This is his place to get paid. Yeah, I mean, look, the thing about Beal, I think that maybe you're – I think Beal actually wants to win. And and in the playoff, you know, years, you know, those great years with John Wall and those big playoff runs, um, Beal was a, he he at times was a bit of an assassin. Like I, I loved the way he competed and played in a lot of those playoff games, um, and some of them he didn't play well. But um, I think he'd but he's want... been with this organization and he knows the owner. 
and he knows his chances of winning here yeah. are zero. I know, but what I'm saying is you're saying he wants to stay here to get the scoring title. I'm saying that I think, and he reiterated the other day that he wants to stay. I don't know why he would want to stay. You know, the other thing That's about – the other thing, paid. Yeah, I know. The other thing about Beal, too, is that – I don't know that he's the guy that's going to attract the number one guy here. And I don't even know who that number one guy would be. You know, you, you just, like I'm talking about, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, feel, I, I, I always feel like I'm overdoing it in, in, critis, in criticizing Beal. And I, I also really recognize that he's truly an elite scorer. And he wasn't that. You know, he's really worked at that. He's so much better um, as a creator with the ball in his hands than he was as a younger player. He is so much better closing at the rim. He's a great shooter, although he can be a bit streaky at times um, from, from long range. But he, he's a better ball handler, although I still think he exposes it too much, which is why, you know, he turns it over a lot. He still has a terrible assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, but that's, you know, he's not a point guard, but, um, I, I don't, I mean, I, I wish, I, I, I wish the team with John Wall, if they could have continued to build around them with quality defensive players and leaders and, and, and smart, you know, players to go around them. I think you would have had a team for a long period of time that could have won 45 games a year and been in the playoffs and won a series or two, but it wouldn't have contended for a title. But, you know, only a few teams every year can. Tell you what, this year, um, the West is going to – I mean, I I wanted to see it last year, but the Clippers are really, really good. The Lakers are obviously good. Utah's good. Um, Denver's pretty good. In the East, it's going to be wide open too. Sixers, Bucks, Nets. God, I hate the Nets, but they're good. Uh, Boston. Anyway, it's not going to be the Wizards, Tommy. It's not going to be the Wizards. No, it's not. All right, uh, let's finish up the show with Tommy's Super Bowl pick. It's brought to you by MyBookie, mybookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. All right, for for a deposit up to $1,000, they'll match you halfway. Um, And for your selection, before you do this, let me just everybody update everybody on the MyBookie Super Bowl odds right now. Kansas City's minus 3.5, minus 115. And you're going to pay minus 105 on the Bucks plus three and a half. The total 56 and a half at mybookie, mybookie.ag. Totally reliable, totally safe. You get paid if you win. Use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll match your deposit halfway up to a thousand bucks. All right, what's your pick? Okay, Kansas City 38, uh, Tampa Bay 25. 38 to 25. Okay, that would be Kansas yeah. City and the over. All right, 25 is a weird number, but that's okay. <laughs> it doesn't work for you? No, whatever you do works for me. I mean, it's just an yeah, odd right. number. 38, 28, 38, 27, 38, 24. Listen, I have to, I have to go and, uh, and it's 63 degrees here, and I have to go out and, and eat lunch outside and have a couple of beers. All so. right, go I've do got that. things to do. All right, good. See ya. Okay. Uh, back tomorrow with Cooley. There's a gleam, man. There's a gleam. Beautiful.